Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Valentine's Clash. On Monday's episode, we took a stroll down a picturesque and entirely accurate representation of Hollywood Boulevard and the sex worker industry of 90s LA. Today, we're staying in the 90s, but be prepared for a much more realistic proposition as a million dollars changes hands in the pursuit of getting laid. Robert Redford gets a Demi Woody as we talk 1993's Indecent Proposal. I do it for you. Think about what this money could do for us. What it could do for our future. It's just my body. It's not my mind. It's not my heart. You might enjoy it. Don't bet on it. And if you were mine, I wouldn't share you with anyone. It was sex, David. Just sex, not love. Just sex. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. (laughs) It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. We've got a superstar as our first animal. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) the hippo. (laughs) I'm Alex Zane. (laughs) I'm Mickey (laughs) Crompton. I'm Demi Woody. <laughs> I took a long bath after I wrote Demi Woody. <laughs> right. Uh, very quickly, I do it at the start of the second episode every week, but I hope it's working and I think it's working. Please do uh, subscribe to us if you haven't done so. Uh, if you would be kind enough to do that, Apple, Spotify, or indeed wherever you get your podcasts. It's very useful to us, a little show like we are. And also, if you could rate and, if possible, review us as well. That's great. We are on Twitter, at ClashPod. We are on Instagram, at ClashPod. That's the business done. Part two, then, of Pretty Woman versus Indecent Proposal. These were the lovely Victoria's choices. Victoria, remind us of why this is your Valentine's Day collection. Uh, Just because we're talking about the things that really bond people together and how you prove your love for one another, for other people, and that is money. Money. Money right there. All right. So on Monday, Chris showed us a good time for $3,000 in Pretty Woman, which means obviously I'm here to outdo him by throwing $1 million at you with my indecent proposal. Let me take you on a journey. Childhood sweethearts David and Diane are very bloody happy, and they have the best sex. In fact, it's not even sex. 
It's lovemaking, and it is epic. Sure, things aren't always rosy. She'll slap him about a bit if he leaves his muddy shoes on the dining table. But then again, who the fuck puts shoes on a dining table? Anyway, bottom line, they're happy until recession. And suddenly, David warbling on about architecture doesn't cut it. They need money. Enter pensioner John Gage, who chucks a million dollars at them to bone Diane. Weirdly, things start to fall apart after this, but after David tells Diane how he feels at a hippo auction, they reconcile the end. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I just, I don't know if you heard it, but I just snorted. That's how much I laugh. I don't do that very often. No, normally I'm faking. Bloody hell. Oh, God. Can't wait, can't to, wait to do a deep dive on the hippo auction. That was incredible. Pension yeah. junkie. <laughs> just to do it again. Yeah, it's a bit cruel. He's only 56, but fuck it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, a decent proposal. Guys, oh. what are your histories with this movie? Chris? I mean, the 90s were a weird time. I, I went and watched this with a group of lads when I was 15 because this, is the, stuff, this is the stuff that was on at the cinema. You know, we did. there were no superhero movies. There was <clears> this and, and Philadelphia and Hannah Rocks the Cradle. And these are the films that we went and watched, which is why they were the biggest films of the year. So this was, this was um, the third the sixth biggest movie of 1993. So, yeah, I watched this with a group of lads, and I don't know why. <laughs> did, did, did you expect it to be slightly more titillating than it actually was? Because you, you look at the poster for this, and it's a complete rip-off of Fatal Attraction, and you think, indecent proposal, <laughs> erotic thriller, which it bloody isn't. Well, I'm sure there was an aspect of that, of, of being a horny teenager, but also it was just, it was a very big talked about movie. And so, you know, and I guess it was all that was on that weekend. So, yeah, that's my <laughs> memory of it. And it's a film I've chosen to never revisit since. Yeah, I think it was huge, though. You're right. I mean, it was like the seventh biggest movie that year. Victoria, what are your memories? I, it's a weird one. I think I might have watched it with my parents. Um, because when I put it on in the week, I had that sort of weird reaction, which was like, oh dear. Like, I remember the awkwardness. And my mum, like a lot of people's mums, big Robert Redford fan. So, something for the whole family in this, uh, we like to think. And then <laughs> uh, Mark said, I forced him to watch it in the week. And he said that I'd forced him to watch it before, so, which I didn't remember. So, I've seen it now three times, which is probably too, too many. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's a movie I've seen once, and I only know I've seen it once because I remember one scene and one scene alone, which is the pool game scene where he actually makes the proposition and the movie comes through on its interesting premise. Everything else I'd forgotten about, uh, which didn't surprise me on this rewatch. Um, but I did not remember uh, the sort of very sharp left turn the movie takes in its third act and becomes absolutely fascinated with hippos. Did not remember that at all, but there's a lot of hippo action. So here's a little bit of backstory to the movie. It's directed by our old friend, Adrian Lyne, who we've talked about on the Fatal Attraction episode. Uh, he'd also done Flashdance in nine and a half weeks by this point in his career. So he knew how to make things sexy, yet palatable for a mainstream American audience. That power seems to have eluded him on this film, because if there's one thing this isn't, it's sexy. It's based on a book by Jack Engelhard that I haven't read. Have either of you read Indecent Proposal, the novel? No. 
Now, what I did is I read the script for Pretty Woman because that was my mm. film this week. So I expected yep. that the person presenting a decent proposal <laughs> would have read the novel of that. <laughs> I, I scanned it. I scanned it. Uh, it's, uh, it's the same premise, uh, but it's a, a rich Arab making the proposition to a cash-strapped Jewish man and his wife. And it deals a lot uh, with the religious and ethnic angles of that debate, uh, all of which the film jettisoned in favour of pretty A-listers in Vegas. <laughs> so it was adapted by screenwriter Amy Holden-Jones. Uh, weirdly, we mentioned uh, a couple of, uh, well, one of her movies on mm. Monday's show. She wrote Mystic Pizza, uh, which also starred Monday's uh, actress, Julie Roberts. Julia Roberts. Uh, she'd also written Beethoven, the dog film. But Brilliant. her greatest achievement, in my opinion, uh, was the most recent film she penned, a film we've covered on this very show. Uh, any guesses from 1997? It was my choice that week. It was a very strange pairing. Museums oh, is the clue. It wasn't The Relic, was it? She wrote the relic. Yeah. Oh my god. Thanks a lot. <laughs> a shitty week. <laughs> uh, so that's the relic versus House of Wax. If you want to revisit that episode, uh, uh, a few different actors. A bit about the casting. A few different actors considered for David. Uh, some were quite interesting. Johnny Depp considered for David, as were Charlie Sheen, Val Kilmer, uh, who came pretty close, and John Cusack. Uh, a much later, John Cusack has said of why he turned the film down and his opinion of it, which was, why would I want to watch Demi Moore fuck Donald Trump and make stupid faces? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> such, a, such, a, such a Cusack quote. Such a Cusack quote. <laughs> um, most interestingly, though, this film might have beaten Stanley Kubrick to the punch and had Tom Cruise and his then-wife Nicole Kidman as David and Diane six years mm. before Eyes Wide Shut. Um, but Adrian Lyne wasn't massively keen on Kidman. He wanted Demi Moore, and he was eventually convinced about Woody Harrelson after watching White Men Can't Jump. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it, I, remember, I remember it being very weird casting to see Woody Harrelson in a serious role because he was coming off of Cheers that year. He'd done Doc Hollywood and he'd done White Men Can't Jump, all of which were sort of light comedies. And so mm. it was a real surprise to see him playing a serious character in a serious movie. And I think that was one of the reasons to watch it. To see, it was almost a novelty. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, it, it completely changed the trajectory of his career. And he's a brilliant actor, a brilliant serious actor. But he just, he wasn't that to anyone at that time. Yeah, and he wasn't that in this. But he is now. <laughs> but in this... <laughs> I'd argue this does not play to Woody Harrelson's strengths. I, I, I agree, I but it's is... serious, isn't it? It's definitely a very yes. serious role he's playing. For law. And I'm pleased, I'm pleased it set him on that path, although there are, there are other movies that I think you would declare the start of Woody Harrelson's great uh, dramatic career. This is not one of them. Um, and for the role of millionaire pensioner John Gage, <laughs> uh, Line wanted Warren Beatty initially, yes. uh, but Beatty said no, as he'd said no to pretty much everything in the 90s. Um, so they gave it to Robert Redford, uh, which I think is great. I actually prefer the idea of Robert Redford in this role uh, because he's, he's slightly warmer and he's a bit gentler on screen maybe than Beatty, uh, you know, especially considering the role he's playing is Satan. So he sort of warms it up. <laughs> A bit. I just kind of wish they'd cast someone who wasn't that good looking. It might. I think it would have been a lot more interesting um, if it wasn't like the hottest guy on the planet. The film that this reminded me most of while I was watching it, which is a film I know you love, Victoria, The Devil's Advocate. Did you get any Devil's Advocate vibes from this? Um, 
You can well, say no. No, I won't be upset. Right. No, I, why don't you tell, tell me what you think? Not straight away, but then I don't think about the devil's advocate in a normal way. So I probably wouldn't see it anyway. Just the way that he, Robert Redford's character, kind of inserts himself in their relationship and starts there's a lot of Machiavellian things going on, the same way Al Pacino starts to break up Keanu's relationship in that uh, film, in The Devil's Advocate. No, yeah. Forget it. It's not important. The, I, just, I the, just thought... The film it reminded me of is Honeymoon in Vegas because they've got the same bloody plot. And Honeymoon in Vegas came out a year before um, with a sort of more exciting cast. Uh, I went and saw that one on my birthday the year before. And yeah, it's it's James Kahn is the rich guy who breaks up the couple and the couple are Sarah Jessica Parker and Nicolas Cage. And Why have I uh, never seen that movie? I've never seen that movie. Why does everyone talk about Indecent Proposal and not that? It's the comedy version of this and it involves a bunch of flying Elvises and Nicolas Cage dressing up as Elvis and jumping out of a plane. And it's really good. So <laughs> that's the good version of this plot. Well, that then... Uh, honeymoon in Vegas ends my trivia section. Uh, does anyone else have anything to add about Indecent Proposal? No. All right. Great. Let's crack on. Uh, I have actually divided it into sections this week. So welcome to the first section of Indecent Proposal, which I'm calling Meet Diane and David. They are in love. You will hate them. So <laughs> the film begins as it means to go on with some utter nonsense narration that oh, Diane and David, they, they keep passing between them like a child they don't want. Uh, so <laughs> David begins uh, this sorry process on a pier saying, losing Diane was like losing a part of me. I thought we were invincible. Vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that's fine. I mean, no, the voiceover, the narration is absolutely 100% not fucking fine. So having talked about Goodfellas last week, how, what a crashing like shock to have to deal with this voiceover, which is one of the worst ever, 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 because it's so dull. So, right, first of all, A, how hard is it to put on screen, film is a visual medium, Diana helped supporters by selling real estate, just show her working in a fucking office, but B, fuck off how boring is that? Imagine writing that down, Diana helps supporters by selling real estate. Snooze, fuck off. Yep. Um, well, I mean, she she opens with like, the biggest cliche in the world. Someone once said, if you want something very badly, set it free. It comes off. back to you. It's yours forever. If it doesn't, then it was never yours to begin with, which bears literally no relevance to the plot of Indecent Proposal as far as her relationship with David goes. Like It's like a, just nonsense. She's spewing nonsense to fill time. And you're right. You know how long this narration goes on for? Pretty much uh, an hour and a half. Yeah, this is and this and a half film. Hours. This film is almost entirely told in montages and narration. It's nuts. Uh, So we find out that they've been in love a very long time uh, because we have a flashback uh, complete with braces, (laughs) uh, which literally looks like a scene lifted from Never Been Kissed and (laughs) with every other element in the film. It's 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 very strange. Yeah, oh, no, it, made me, think- it made me think of something about Mary actually. When uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. Demi Moore does a good job because she's she is a good a really good actor in that. I mean, it's crap the wigs and the braces and all of a sudden what you're 19 years old. Of course you're not. But the way she smiles at Woody Harrelson in that she does it in a really 19 year old way, like sort of um, not. She's not sort of she's not womanly in that smile. She's like a kid, and I just thought that was a. I'm I'm looking for something good here, and I thought that was good. All right. I'll give you that. I might actually even keep a tally of good things in this film, see where we get to. That's one. Uh, Right. 
Shall we get into their home life, uh, where work-shy David openly says, as you just mentioned, Victoria, Diane sold real estate to supporters. I spent my free time working on something of my own. It summed up <laughs> everything that I loved about architecture. Now, I introduce that at this point because there is a whole other way to look at this film, which is that the reason they end up needing a million pounds from Satan is because <laughs> David refuses to get a proper job for the yep. entire movie. Welcome After to my four life. Minutes, <laughs> Hurts a bit, hurts a bit. Move on. (laughs) I think I should. After four minutes of uh, this narration, uh, we get our first uh, actual on screen dialogue, which is that god awful routine they do. D, I haven't told you that I love. Have I never told you that I love you? (laughs) No, I do. Still, always. Jesus. It's, it's I mean, Ditto, isn't it, from Ghost, which starred Debbie Moore and made a bunch of money oh, three years yeah. previous. So they're just trying to, you know, hark back to that. But, I mean, I mean, the whole point of the start of this film is there to make us realise how fucking in love these two are and how pure and how beautiful that love is. And I will say, at this point, I literally cannot wait for their relationship to get torn apart and watch them suffer because I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I will say... It's, it kills me to say it because it means you've got to watch it more than once. But second time round, it does work better because when they're like, oh, we're invincible and do you still love me? And calling each other D, bleh, whatever. And everything turns to sex, everything. And so first time round, that's quite distracting because you're like, will you two just stop shagging? Maybe do a budget and maybe you won't be in such a mess. But second time round, you're like, oh, okay, there are obviously issues in your relationship, which I don't think you see the first time. Like, they're, they're very spirited is a nice way of putting it. So when she slaps him over that, whatever that is, that is out, that's outrageous that that happens. But they're trying to say they're just so into each other. They're so you know, kinetically into each other that they can't really, um, they're really meant for each other. But when you watch it again, you're like, no, 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 there, there are cracks there which Satan will exploit. And I just didn't see it the first time. So it's better second time, weirdly. She, she attacks him because his shoes are on the table. And I'm, I'm with her on that. Don't put your dirty shoes on a table. It is a weird thing to do, but I don't think she just slaps it. It's just she it's just fucking, so out of order. <laughs> she wallops him. She really yeah. like you feel it. It's a real wallop. And then she's like, <laughs> joking. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't hit me and then go, now it's a joke. Now that I've but hit the, you, yeah. it's a joke. No returns. Can't hit me back. <laughs> like, and I don't well, and I'm very against it because it's using it's actual violence and they're using it as a shorthand for passion, which I will not accept. And later on, he throws a fucking bottle of wine at her. And that is is not acceptable. That is not passionate. That's not spirited. That's violence. No. No, he throws it at the fridge. He wasn't throwing it at her. She stood next to it. If someone threw a bottle of wine at the fridge when you were stood next to the fridge, would you not leave the house and be very, very alarmed or very upset? Victoria, I have enough problems with this film, but in that scene, she is by the sink and he throws it at the fridge to smash it because he's angry. Don't be upset. You're just upset because a bottle of wine goes to waste. I understand I think, that. Yeah, that I, that I can true. relate to. But then, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was quite funny. Is she wallops him around the head uh, before? And I'm going to pick you up here, uh, Victoria, because you said they had sex. Now they do not have sex in this movie uh, at all. They make love. Sorry. Uh, yeah, they make love on the kitchen floor, and we know they're making love and not having sex because it's set to a song by Seal. Uh, an artist <laughs> who legally cannot be played when people are having sex in movies only 
when they are making love. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to say it, which says a lot more about me. I thought you were going to say, we know they're making love because they look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they, have sex to, they have sex to seal here and they have sex to Sade later. They're just missing yeah. Shaggy and they've got the 1990s hat trick, I think. <laughs> seal, Sade and Shaggy. I just... Because they, I'm trying to process what you said, Victoria. Does it mean that they're in a, they're, they're in a sexual position where they're able to look into each other's eyes? And they or do. do you mean they, or do you mean that they've got their eyes open and not tightly closed, going, ah, 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 when does this end? Or just looking some, just looking somewhere, just looking somewhere. But yeah, if you're looking at each other's eyes, that's a, that's a special night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they are definitely making love. And before you can uh, do a crap joke about pants being on fire, we get some more narration. Um, (laughs) It honestly feels like the movie hasn't quite finished making you hate David and Diane enough. So (laughs) Diane goes, (laughs) oh, I couldn't believe this line when I heard it. We never had much money. So for entertainment, David would show me architecture that moved him. Sometimes I'd have to ask, why are we looking at a stupid car wash? Fair question. Although she should have probably followed it up with, oh, and get a fucking job. <laughs> I, I feel like these opening scenes are like a really shit version of the beginning of Up as, as you sort of go through this couple's relationship. Um, yes, yes, just, it is. Yeah, complete, complete with David, for some reason, leapfrogging over a parking meter for no yeah. reason. It's just like, yeah. this is, it's, it's like I am a, a freeloading free spirit. So this is, this is what I do. Um, anyway, in, in a cleverly disguised way of getting David to do some actual work, Diane finds some land for him to build a house on and, you know, stop talking shit about car washes and make some fucking money. Uh, unfortunately, after getting a loan, to do this, um, a recession hits and they can't keep up on their repayments. And you know how we find out about the recession, Victoria? They tell us. Yeah. 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 Um, Anyway, thankfully around this point, we meet uh, one of the actual human characters in the film. Uh, It's their lawyer, Jeremy, uh, played by one of my favourite actors, Oliver Platt, who is almost as good here as he is in Lake Placid. uh, (laughs) Almost. Almost. And Jeremy, you see, has something lacking in both David and Diane, which is, uh, how do you put it, a, a personality, a, uh-huh. a sense of a sense of humor, just sort of human qualities and emotions. And he makes the movie actually feel like you're watching a movie and not a music video. So great, <laughs> great work, Oliver Platt. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the house they're building gets taken away uh, and they've both lost their jobs. Um, now, Dave, David's... Only answer when he's presented with the fact they've got no money by Diane is, <laughs> is he says, I'll wait tables or drive a cab or something. Now, by this point, we're getting a handle on David. And instead of doing either of those things, which would constitute actual work, he borrows five grand off his dad and goes to Vegas. <laughs> this guy is fucking unbelievable. He's unbelievable. <laughs> Don't worry, yeah. I'll, I'll get I'll get a job. I'll, I'll get a job. I know you've been on at me to get a job. I'll get a, five grand. Vegas, baby. <laughs> I know, but she doesn't question it. It's so strange. She's not like, sorry, I thought you said you were going to drive a cab. She, she's just like, okay, cool, let's go to Vegas. It doesn't... Uh, but again, second time round, first time I was like, why would anyone do that? Why would that be acceptable? But second time round, I'm like, oh, okay, you're immature and reckless. Therefore, Demi Moore can have sex with Robert Redford. Oh, I see. All right. So they're setting up why that's okay. 
Good. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. All right, but we are into that section now. We're into the second section, uh, which I've called, um, let me give you a little advice. Always bet on black. So, <laughs> so uh, first of all, we get uh, a sequence in a fashion shop. Uh, so while in Vegas, uh, Diane, who clearly hasn't seen Pretty Woman, goes into a fashion shop wearing denim shorts. Ugh. She gets disgusted looks from the shop assistant, uh, which I'm calling out is bollocks. It works in Pretty Woman because it's Rodeo Drive. This yeah. is Vegas. <laughs> this is yeah. fucking... Do you... But those fashion shops are next to the casino floor. There are people in bathing suits wandering around those shops. <laughs> no one goes, I know. denim shorts. It's like, it, fucking Vegas. It's, a, it's that's what. Anyway, so uh, we get a very strange uh, sequence uh, now that uh, despite having money to pay for a hotel room, Diane is literally starving. So pours a bowl of complimentary chocolates into her handbag. Which is if, a mental thing to do. If, if, if you're in Vegas and you're spending as much money as they are, you, you'll get free drinks and you can get free food. <laughs> you don't need to steal it. They will yeah. literally bring it to you. <laughs> yeah, it just it makes her look like a nutter. It's like, they're, like they're, A, they'll melt, and B, they'll get covered in handbag dust, and it's just a stupid thing to do. Um, but while she's in this shop, she tries on a dress, sort of. She sort of holds a dress up to her. And who should be watching her than billionaire John Gage? And he likey what he sees. So after he picks his tongue up off the floor, he goes over to her. Now, one thing you can say about John Gage, not short of confidence. So he offers to buy her the dress because he's enjoyed watching her. <laughs> She's earned it. She Aww. has earned it. <laughs> Red flag, <laughs> mate. Red flag. <laughs> Demi. Yeah. Uh, she makes the point of saying, uh, quite rightly, the, the dress is for sale, but she isn't. Words that she's going to be eating with a slice of John Gage meat pie shortly. <laughs> or maybe not. Who knows what they get up to? She don't even see it. Rubbish. It's unbe unbelievable. Can you believe like the premise of the movie? And it's like, and cut away to seascape. I want to see his <laughs> demi-semi. <laughs> <laughs> it's Demi Woody Meanwhile, David He's one big on craps So he and Diane, as Chris point out Make love to Sade Now, uh, once again, you know it's making love And not having sex Because if it's Sade, you're making love She only well, it's, it's no, it's no ordinary love It's no ordinary love like <laughs> So that The fact that it's no ordinary love Is so on the nose It actually mm. hurts because I do think I do think every '90s uh, sexual thriller had to have that song in it. This was the first of about fifteen of those. I know, but in this movie, it's like, of course, it's no ordinary love because it's Diane and David, and they're so fucking special. They don't have ordinary love. Their love is extraordinary. People like you and me, our love is ordinary and boring, and involves asking if you want a cup of tea and watching Netflix. But David and Diane make fucking love on money on a waterbed. They're so well, fucking <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Kingpin? Yeah. Uh, yes. They did. They because the fair play to Woody Harrelson, he completely uh, takes the piss out of this scene. Where Chris Chris Elliott offers him a million dollars to sleep with Randy Quaid, uh, and and Woody's character imagines what it would be like and sees sees himself frolicking in the money <laughs> in a hotel room while Randy Quaid is holding a cushion to his ass and gargling. 
um, anyway, by this point, I've had it with David and Diane, and it's it's wonderful when they lose everything on roulette. Uh, and then John Gage shows up after a, a literally minute-long cameo from Billy Bob Thornton. Not really a cameo, but that's Billy Bob Thornton there. I know, and- I can't believe it. I was screaming at the screen because it's him because of the voice. Oh, it's so obviously him, but it doesn't really look like him. No! Did you, did you think that? I thought I was like I was like is that I had to, I genuinely had to Google it because his face seems like an entirely different shaped. Yeah. I was man's like, well, head. he's got he's got a brother. He has to have a brother. Like, but then I was like, it's his voice. It's everything about him apart from that is not his face. That's so strange. Can you believe that this is the only time Billy Bob Thornton and Woody Harrelson have been in a film together? Like, they That's just so feels weird. like yeah. they've been in like a hundred movies together, and the fact that they haven't. Is it so? It needs someone needs to pitch a buddy road trip comedy with Woody Harrelson and Billy Bob Thornton. I can't believe it hasn't been made. Like they belong an, together in a film. He, he gets an amazing line here, Alex, and I was really hoping that you were going to do a Billy Bob Thornton impression when you say it. No, go on, you do it because no, I know I don't you've do got impressions. One I don't know. I don't do impressions. But he says, "Look at how cool he is. That son of a bitch must get more pussy than you can shake a stick at." <laughs> Uh, and, and and that seems to make Demi more like him, maybe. <laughs> and then Oliver Platt calls calls Gage a major poon hound. Like again, all <laughs> these things should be should be red flags. But 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 Demi's been getting more attracted to him the more she hears. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, well, I mean, she. Uh, there's worse things that happen though, uh, such as him uh, sidling up to uh, David and saying. Would you mind lending me your wife? Uh, now, obviously, as the audience, we know what's to come. So this is literally a try before you buy situation that he's enacting <laughs> here. Uh, uh, David does say to Gage, you'd have to ask her. Now, on the surface, that seems nice. But because we know David now, that's really him going, mm, that sounds like a work-related question and I don't really do any work, <laughs> so you'll have to deal with my wife. Uh, just go straight to her. She does contracts and stuff like that. I just, you know, I draw buildings on walls, so hey. <laughs> Next section, I'm calling pool party. Mm-hmm. So Gage basically, uh, he wants everything that Diane and David have. He wants that perfect love. Um, like I said, I think this scene is actually really cool. Uh, this is the scene uh, I remember. This is where the movie comes through on its promise. And uh, what do you guys think of this scene? Vicky? Um, I, right, so I do really like this scene. I mean, when I first saw this film, I was quite young and I did think it was so grown up and so sexy and all the rest of it, but I was very young. But this, the sort of drama of this scene, it's almost like a play um the but watching it again oh man it's really hard so i can't remember the order of the lines but there's a point where robert redford is like oh can i say we can't buy love but please might have sex with your wife and demi was like you can't buy love and he's like i didn't fucking ask you bitch (laughs) oh Oh, shit but to for a man to say for this it's fine it's sort of like you know repartee whatever but in this conversation for him to just be like i didn't ask you is so gross and so awful that now with my, you know, with grown up eyes, you'd be like, oh my God, you need to leave. Like what? And also what is your plan at this point? Like you've got the dress on and you're just like, let's play billiards with this dude. And then what? Go home. Like they don't seem to have a plan to be like mm. gaming him. Like he's gaming them. Like they're just hanging out and, 
being in love and having a kiss and having a dance. And it's it, people's, it's a very unbalanced scene, but I like the dialogue and I like the, the sort of the rhythm of it. But I did feel a bit like, oh, yuck, when he's like, shut up, Demi. I was talking to your husband. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, go on, Chris. I'm just shocked by how inflation works when I watch this scene because in 1990, A Night with Julia Roberts was $300. Three years later, A Night with Demi Moore is a million. <laughs> um, I've got a good reason uh, to back up your theory that they probably should have left this party, uh, which I, I only noticed on, on this time of watching. So Cage, like, Gage is, is there and he's got, I, I want to say, his manservant, Shackleford, with him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at one point, at one point, David says, oh, hey, who's, uh, who's Shackleford? And like, Cage, Gage goes, he goes, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's someone who works for me. He killed someone once. And no <laughs> one asks any further questions. It's like David just goes, all right. It's like, if you were there and someone goes, this is my friend, uh, he killed someone, David should go, sorry, White, well, it sounded like you said he killed someone. Uh, what, what was that bit? <laughs> well, he killed that man. The man over there killed someone. Diane, get your fucking coat. We're leaving. He's, we're, <laughs> hanging out with, we're hanging out with a murderer? So what are we doing here? It's so yeah. weird, the fact that no one goes, what are you talking about? But I have this weird theory, because just before Gage says he killed someone, you see Shackleford like doing that little tap dancing step to himself yeah. mm. on the step, which is a really nice moment. And, and then Gage goes, he killed someone. And I think what he's doing is saying that one moment in your life won't define the rest of it. So this guy's killed someone, but look at him now. He's happy. You let me spend one night with your wife. And, you know, in a few years from now, it won't matter because look at Shackleford. He's a fucking murderer. He's having a tap dance on the stairs. You'll be I tap dancing. <laughs> I think you're connecting a lot of dots there, Alex, that aren't there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking for something in this movie that is better than what I've watched. <laughs> would, you like, so... would you like a bit of, of, of irrelevant but vaguely interesting trivia about the actor who plays Shackleford? Yes, please. He Seymour is, Castle. He, he is Seymour Cassell, who people will recognise from a few uh, uh, Wes Anderson movies. But Seymour Cassell is the person who gave Slash the name Slash. No. Yes. What? Yes. Slash's best friend was Seymour Cassell's son. And he started calling him that when he was a kid because he was always zipping from one place to the other. And he said he looked like a Slash. So he called him Slash. And that's why he's called Slash. Fact. Wow. Love that. that Love is, that. That is great. That has, that has lifted my appreciation of this film <laughs> tenfold. Well done. Great trivia. That is proper Tilly trivia right there. Uh, so obviously, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question because I think it's worth asking, um, have either of you ever had this conversation with your partner or a partner about how much it would require you to be paid to let them sleep with a stranger or sleep with a stranger? You understand the proposition based, based that Robert on, Redford based, makes. Based on WhatsApp, I'm, I'm guessing Vicky's had it this week. She told us. <laughs> 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 Which inspired me, but Vicky, Vicky, how did it go? Mark would sleep with anyone else for a disappointingly low sum of money. No, I don't. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Chris, Chris, what's yours? Uh, I asked Georgina um, if she would sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars, and she said no. And then she started laughing, and then I started laughing because we both knew that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Alex? Uh, 
Well, I thought I, I thought um, I, I, I try and have this conversation, and, and it's amazing how quickly uh, an innocent conversation about a movie can become a two-day argument. So <laughs> I, I did, <laughs> didn't really get an answer, but it's not a question I'm ever going to ask again. So <laughs> that's, that's the end of that. <laughs> Vicky, would you sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars? Why are you asking me that rather than asking if I would let Mark sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars? Because, yeah, like, yeah, why are you asking me that? Because I'm not your plot, partner. It's the plot of the film. Would you sleep with Robert Redford for a million dollars? Uh, not now. He's 85 years old, you weirdo. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think the argument that they have about it is a, is a really good part of the script because it feels very real. So when she then says to him, you know, I think you want me to do it. That is such a cop out, <laughs> like, which is what you do in arguments. And then when mm. he's like, no, I don't want that. And she's like, I don't want to, but I would for you. It's like, oh, that's awful. Like You clearly want to do it, but you can't say to him, I've quite fancy this and hell, let's make some money. <laughs> so I, yeah, I do think that argument um, is very well drawn. It's great. I think it's great for the other reason. I think you're right, but it, because it's... I sort of wrote it out because I was sort of fascinated to work out what was being said because it's such a clever conversation because it casts doubt over whose decision it really is because it's like yeah. they keep sort of going around in circles and it's all smoke and mirrors. Just to, so you never really know. It's never it never apportioned sort of blame, if you want to call it that, to one person for actually being the one who went, I think yes. So it's yeah. clever. It's clever. It's, it's really annoying good. to also- watch because you know they're going to do it because you've read the fucking back of the video box, but you're still like... Oh, are they going to do it or not? But yeah, it's good. And I, I do think it, it's a good argument. Well, it's not, sorry, I'm sorry that you had a two-day argument about it, but it is an interesting question to throw into the middle of a relationship because, again, second time viewing, you know that this couple are not in the great place that they tell you they are all the time. Because when she says to, when Demi Moore says to Woody Harrelson, we'll never discuss it, it's like, well, that's a bad idea because that's how you know they're still kind of kids because you would have to discuss something like this. Otherwise, it's like it's going to happen in the film. It's just going to sit there and it's going to fester and then you're going to break up. And if you were in a really strong place as a couple, like really strong, and it would be like a very personal thing, this could be something that you would get over or turn it into role play fodder. Like, why the fuck not? Like, you're so strong, this cannot break you apart. They tell us that they're strong, but they're not. And it, this does break them apart. So I think it's good to see it through the, like, it's not that they were the perfect couple, but the most sort of devious situation appeared and split them up. They were never that strong to start with. Yeah. Um, and also, poor little David. So they agree to do it. She, um, They say yes. He goes to have a drink with Oliver Platt in a restaurant <laughs> with a singing tree. Because, I love that restaurant. <laughs> because Vegas. I don't know if it's still there, but at the time it was the Hilton in Vegas where they, they had a singing tree and um, now he does change his mind now correct me if i'm wrong but he changes his mind when he looks at the jets of water shooting up yeah. out of the fountain <laughs> and they does. make him think of gage ejaculating his billionaire yes. semen with diane right a hundred a hundred percent correct it's like psh, oh no 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 oh not if he's gonna come no fucking way and then he's out of <laughs> there it's gross <laughs> <laughs> um 
But he goes, at that point, he sees the, the, the billionaire seaman water jet and he's like, oh, this is a bad idea. Look how much there's going to be because he's a billionaire. I'll never be able to get that image out of my mind. And he runs off and you're like, oh, poor old David. Ah, but it's too late because she's already in a helicopter and she's flown out to a boat and Robert Redford, John Gage is there on his yacht just having the most incredible chat-up lines like, I bought you because you said you couldn't be bought. (laughs) The charmer. The fucking charmer. (laughs) He's not letting go. It's like, she's here now. Dial it back a bit because she's already on the boat. She's pretty much said, yes, you don't need to be such a dick about it. He's basically going, I won. So I won. (laughs) I bloody won. Right then, we'll take a short break uh, before the next section. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Stakhanov's award-winning football mockumentary, The Offensive, is available to listen to now. After securing Premier League survival last season, Ashwood City have a new boss. The new manager, Sven Goran Eriksson. I am delighted to be the new head coach at Ashwood City Football Club. But unfortunately, the same old chief executive. Oh, fuckity. Fuckity fuck fuck. Stupid comments from an ex-player chanting make Ashwood great again. Big fucking deal. You know, if he thinks that any of those empty words have had even the slightest impact on Patrick Nolan, MBE, then he is dreaming. Stupid big idiot twat. Fucking wank wank. Bollock face. Follow Ashwood City on and off the pitch every Premier League match week. I can't even get easy peelers in my local MS at the moment, Sven, let alone a fullback from Real Sociedad. I just have a list of players I'd like to bring into your squad. <sighs> okay, well, let me know when you have a list of players you'd like to bring out of the squad. Described by The Guardian as a must-listen for football fans. We lied about the corona test result. We isolated our two informed players to stop them playing for England. And now we've asked Man City Football Club to bribe the Premier League on our behalf. I didn't actually ask them to. I asked if they wanted to. It's the same fucking thing. Search The Offensive on your favourite podcast player and listen now.
The next section is called, well, what did you fucking expect? (laughs) (laughs) So it starts with some more Diane narration, because why wouldn't it? Uh, I told myself it was like a dream, and in time, I would forget. Uh, If that is the case, then probably don't leave a box of fucking matches from his boat next to the cooker for David to find, because that that won't help anyone forget, because he finds the matches. uh, Then Gage buys their dream home, because I think he basically wants everything that was David's at this point. He's like, I'm just going to take all your life. So David gets more and more jealous. Now, this goes back to something you were saying, Victoria. I do actually think this is a fairly realistic depiction of people in relationships because you would want to talk about it. And for right or for wrong, you would want to know. And I think if sometimes guys and girls, I'm sure, do that jealous thing where you know it's going to hurt and you know it's only going to make the situation worse. But if someone has uh, cheated on you, or even if you're talking about an ex and you're going, but was he, were they good? Were they good, though? But just tell was me, it, I don't mind. But was he good at sex? Was he good at sex is the line. He's quite clear about what he wants to know. Like, he's not, yeah. Was he good at sex means one thing only. What? He- <laughs> Do you not know? <laughs> anyway. But are you going to, but seriously, are you going to answer the question? What, what does he, it mean? What, the, what does um, it mean? It means... Does he cuddle all night? You know that. Come on, guys. <laughs> Is it like a bloody fountain that I saw in the foyer of the hotel? <laughs> Not at his age. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they didn't put a death clause into the contract in case, he, in case it was weekend at Bernie's sex. <laughs> is it like a, does he lie on his back and is it like a whale opening its blowhole? <laughs> Weird, what? weird image. What? What? Move on, I've move on. I've Let's get us to the hippos. Uh, you, know, you know, it's like in forty-year-old version where they suddenly realise he haven't hasn't had sex. Like a whale opening its blowhole. <laughs> Alex, have you ever had sex? And <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think the big problem with this whole bit of the movie is that the money, this million pounds, the, like the crux of this film, and the whole reason that they went ahead and did it very quickly. It's just cast to one side. It's like, yeah, I don't want it. I don't want it either. Yeah, fine. Yeah, we're having an argument. So it's sort of like, well, you did it for the money. The whole thing was getting you out of the problem that was set up in the whole start of the movie. And then it's just cast aside, which is why it's quite funny when Oliver Platt goes, I'll take it if no one wants it. (laughs) (laughs) He would, wouldn't you? Uh, So David leaves and Gage shows how good at stalking he is to Diane. Uh, uh, she's teaching, I guess, citizenship or English as a foreign language. What you mean? You don't know, even though she goes in a voiceover. I took a second job. That to me is like unforgivable. Like we can (laughs) watch you get a job, especially as later on we watch Woody Harrelson have a fucking job interview. So it's not like the writer's like, I should write the job scene, but it's not my strong suit, so I'm just going to voice over it because you wrote it later. I just can't. I can't. I know it's petty. I can't get over it. But don't you like the fact that these are foreign students and they love Gage because he is the personification of the American dream? Like, yeah, that's, he's like that's, a, yeah, that's he's a great Gatsby. It, 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 <laughs> but it genuinely feels like he walk, walks in and they hadn't told them Robert Redford was coming that day because they're like, fuck, it's Robert Redford. <laughs> Jesus. We thought we were just doing an extra scene. Robert Redford's here. 
Yeah. Also, is she, is she, when she leaves that class, she's carrying a globe, isn't she, to her she car? <laughs> but do you have to carry your own globe to, to schools? Wouldn't school have a globe? <laughs> it's, no, it's it's because she's teaching people from other countries, so it lets she she has to take it with her to learn where those go. So you're from Spins Globe. Yeah, <laughs> I just feel like it would be at the school. Me too. So this is where she starts to warm to Gage. He gives the big speech about being on the subway and Bullshit. seeing a girl. Uh, they share a smile, but, you know, then he didn't speak to her and the train pulled away and he kept going back every day for two weeks, which really doesn't seem that long if you're really that in love you, to see You know what I would have said there. to him? That wouldn't have made me fall in love with him. I would have said to him, Oi, mate, you've literally just nicked that speech from the film Citizen Kane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> piss off, because he tells the story you know what in I Citizen Kane. I taught him a lesson. It's like sometimes women smile back at men because it's like he's going to get off in a minute. And if I don't smile at him, he might just attack me now. And if I do smile (laughs) at him, he'll get off and everything we find. Like, I'm being dramatic, but sometimes we smile back, not because we love you, but because we want you to stop looking at us or not attack us. So it's, I mean, the story is, it is nicked, obviously, but it's his version of that story. And the woman in it has no agency. She doesn't say to him, I'm definitely into this. It's just this electric smile she's got. And P.S., she didn't turn up, did she, for the other two weeks? So she wasn't into it. So move on. So I'm going to go the other way entirely with my theory on this speech that he's actually not talking about some abstract girl. I think he's talking about a former partner in an abstract way, the woman he loved who died and that's why he's chasing Diane so much because she's the only other person who has had that effect on him since he died. Now, my reasoning for this is the fact that his company and his boat are called the Griffin. And in mythology, a Griffin would mate for life. And then when the mate died, it would never seek another. And that's why it's such a huge deal that he's found another. Wow, that's again, cool. Again, joining a lot of dots that aren't there, Alex <laughs> Yeah, I, I realised that because the other thing about griffins is they hoard treasure and gold. So it's probably that. And it's really probably <laughs> the second one. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, I only read that after I'd read the first bit and I'd written the theory and I was like, oh, yeah. You make it bollocks. work. You make it work. Fine. <laughs> so meanwhile, David is uh, living in some kind of potting shed. Um... <laughs> yeah, we got half an hour watching a man sulk, which is entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's that there's that weird scene. Uh, so uh, hippo alert. This is where it begins. Uh, mm. The weird scene where he's trying to make the dog play with a stuffed hippo, and the dog really doesn't want to, and it looks upset. And then you're looking at the dog, and then footage of a real hippo starts flashing up on screen, and it genuinely it's like the dog is having a flashback to a horrific hippo attack it endured, <laughs> like a Vietnam yeah. vet. It's like, the, and I, I could, he's playing with the hippo and all I could see was the real hippo. And then you find out what this is about and it cuts to David and Diane really enjoying the hippo enclosure at a zoo. The dog's not even there. So why is the <laughs> dog flashing back to a hippo? It's so weird. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Diane... Uh, then gets together with Gage. This for me was I was I was a bit like it's not a good thing for like yeah, it makes you not like Diane right, mm. at this point. I, I felt the fact that you know he tells one story about a girl he lost on the subway and she's like, yep. 
did he pay me a million dollars? Was it a million dollars first? I can't remember. Remember the yeah. subway, though? That was upsetting. That's the thing. We're just women. We're just suckers. Those personal stories, we can't not resist them. Um, uh, to me, it's the same thing. It's in the same wheelhouse as uh, men, boys playing the guitar. Because we know, as as the person being wooed, we're supposed to melt in that moment. But we know we're supposed to melt from seeing it, but we don't actually care and we're just waiting for it to stop. Um, and, and same with personal stories. Like, unless it's a real fucking belter, we couldn't care less. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh. uh, David, meanwhile, uh, this is big for David. He's got a job. Um, it's a job. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> he, he has managed to find a job as a teacher where he can silently show slides to a class and then literally just talk shit about sentient bricks for a living. It's like the perfect job for David. There's no real work. He goes, this brick wants to be something more. And like, it's like, it's like, it's like Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones at the start where the, the students are just know, in awe of like this that. guy yeah. fucking <laughs> waffling on about bricks. This isn't, what is this? A brick. Very good. Also, the uh, student who goes, it's a brick, is uh, the uh, villainous doctor from The Relic. Weird connection between the two no. shots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was moved by A Brick Wants to Be Something because it, um, it, it thematically makes sense with the film because in joining together, we are something more. And that's what D and D uh, are all <laughs> about. So it did work. I, the, the only thing that annoyed me is, as you've said, this is a man who doesn't want to get a job. And when he does get a job, we spend quite a long time proving that he's such a great guy because he's hugely overqualified for his job. So the man's like, I can't believe I've landed Woody Harrelson to talk about bricks. It's like he couldn't just get a job. He has to be getting a job that really he's stooped so low as to be a teacher. What a dude. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about the uh, brick speech? I told you I thought it was shit. It made me hate him. I told you that in Monday's episode. Done. Yeah, I just wanted. To, I just thought we'd confirm it now, but good, good, succinct. Um, but right then, <laughs> go on. Oh, you, you. Well, uh, we're questioning why uh, you know she wants to be with with Robert Redford at this point. But also, I started wondering why does he want to be with her? There's not much to her. I don't think she's very interesting or funny, or she doesn't have much personality herself. I, I don't get it. On, I, I feel like they did, haven't done a good job of making either of them attractive, apart from. They're obvious, you know, physical uh, looks. Clearly, he's, I think maybe she must look a bit like this mysterious subway girl because yeah, from wonder, the minute he you? sees yeah. her. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, we're into the final section, guys, uh, which I'm calling, <laughs> wait for it, Hip Holy Ever After. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, so... Where else uh, would this film have its climax than <laughs> a, a sequence that feels like some sort of horrific fever dream? The kind of dream where you eat a block of cheese before you go to bed. Billy Conley hosts a hippo auction in the rain <laughs> at a garden party for billionaires. Welcome <laughs> to the climax of Indecent Proposal. It's exactly what you expected, really, isn't it? Oh, wow. Most unexpected. Yeah. Also, I've mentioned this before, but I'm absolutely terrified of hippos and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm re when they're having the, the dogs having the hippo flashbacks, I was really, really frightened. And then I was so distracted because I didn't understand if people were really buying a hippo and therefore would you be able to take it home? Like, is that what the auction is? I didn't get it. I think it's, I think, I think it's sponsorship. Uh, 
I think it's sponsorship okay. <laughs> okay, as well. Uh, Billy Connolly is great here. Uh, 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 so the story goes, Robert Redford kept missing his cues in this sequence because he was listening to Billy Connolly's jokes and, um, and was enjoying Billy Connolly so much that he missed his cues. But it um, takes you out of the movie, doesn't it? It completely takes you out of the movie when Billy Connolly shows up as Billy Connolly. Completely, completely. It, it, it's it's the weirdest thing. Uh, but like I said, it's a fever dream of a climax. Uh, David turns up and uh, gives away the million pounds that Diane had said he could keep uh, to a hippo and says, because... <laughs> <laughs> Because this is the climax. So a hippo gets a million pounds. So really, what you have to remember, when anyone goes, indecent proposal, is that where they uh, they offer a million pounds to sleep with someone's wife? You have to say sort of. It's where a million pounds changes hands <laughs> and ends up belonging to a hippo. That is, that's the plot of a decent proposal. What a, a twist. A hippo gets... <laughs> you don't like, see like it coming. Like Shyamalan. <laughs> if, if, I, if they'd set the hippo up in the first act, then this would be a five-star movie. It's a shame that they just bring it in too late for you to care that the hippo is the real winner here. Uh, so... David's all like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving you, but the hippo's got the million pounds, so all good. Uh, remember, we love hippos, apparently. Uh, then Gage realizes that she's never going to look at him the way she looked at David, and so makes up a lie in the back of the limo saying she's just part of the million pound, million dollar club. And in fact, there are uh, loads of women around the world who he's done this with. Uh, this is a lie, uh, obviously, which murderer Shackleford nearly ruined <laughs> with an anecdote about how one of them kept hiccuping that Robert Redford doesn't cover at all and goes, fuck are you talking about? Oh, yes, the hiccuping one. What a, it's such a mess of a lie. Um, and uh, yeah, I do quite like this scene in the car, even though she clearly knows it's a lie and everyone knows it's a lie and murderer Shackleford sort of like going, oh, <laughs> mess that up. Their relationship between Shackleford and Gage is quite... You get a lot from that little exchange there. Yeah, it makes John Gage seem more human and less awful, um, mm. definitely. And it's a, it's a nice... I mean, I can't believe I'm saying it. It's a nice thing that he does to give her an out without making it awful kind of thing. But don't you think they should have left it ambiguous uh, rather than have them say, you know, why did you, why did you say, make that thing up? Just, just have her storm yeah. out because he said that thing, and then it's up to you whether he he was joking or not. You know, he was doing. I was. I mean, or... about Shackleford being a murderer, though, I couldn't forget about that throughout the whole film. And I thought so. At one point, Shackleford drops Woody Harrelson off when he's pissed, and mm. I thought Shackleford was going to lean over and be like, "Do remember, I've killed someone. I never want to see you again, mm. or I'll fucking kill you." I thought and that then as well. In the, yeah, yeah, and then in the limo. When they're talking about the million dollar club and Shackleford, I just thought, oh, is this the bit where he's like, and we murder the women? So sorry about that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That is a I, was, I was with you. I was with you with the bit where he takes Woody home. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, this is this. But I, I never I'm thought they were going <laughs> <they're laughs> to lock, lock the door to the limo. And the last I'm thing I saw was her, her face pressed up against the rear window, screaming as it disappears off into the night. Finn. <laughs> Lovely. 
Oh, um, anyway, uh, she gets out of the car when it's dark and raining. Uh, she walks down the road and it's a sunny dawn. She gets to the pier and she's in a fog bank. So God knows <laughs> what, how much time has passed uh, around now. Uh, and then just in case uh, you'd started to like Diane and David by this point and be happy about them reconciling, they get on the pier and do that fucking shtick again. D, did I ever tell you that I love you? And it's like, oh God, you should have stayed with Gage. So... Um, <laughs> That's pretty much it. I, I do have a theory um, that John Gage is actually the devil and that the contract mm-hmm. they signed in Vegas was for their souls. And when they break up, they actually kill themselves, at which point the devil comes to collect her soul. But taking her to hell requires her to fall in love with him because that whole hippo auction looks like something the devil would create, like the perfect <laughs> event, knowing how much Diane loves hippos. And he fails to convince her to stay with him. So he has to let her go when she meets David on the pier and they're in a cloud. That's actually him. It's him waiting at the gates of heaven where they're going to spend the rest of the eternity together. Alex, were you on mushrooms yeah. when you watched this film? Uh, it was uh, how it's pre- I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's peyote, but it was <laughs> delicious. Makes a lot more sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, does anyone have anything to add to the fever dream of this movie? Uh, I do not. Great. Best scene, Christopher. I I had written down the scene where Woody changed his mind and he's he's trying to stop that chopper. I thought I found it very dramatic. But actually, I'm going to say a scene that you didn't mention just because I liked it. Um, Because I didn't like many scenes in the film. Uh, I liked it when the screenwriters uh, talking about a comeback vehicle for Diana Ross opposite Billy Ray Cyrus in A Star Is Born. A, I like that. (laughs) That sounds good to me. And B, they then overhear the phone call that Oliver Platt's having with uh, Woody Harlson about this deal that's going down. I hope they ran home as their Hollywood screenwriters and wrote that script up that day for a decent proposal, <laughs> but just did yeah. a better job. It's a good scene. It's really good. Victoria, what's your best scene? Oh, it's the... Uh, is it billiards or pool or snooker? Whatever they're playing. The, the fil- you know, American the scene pool. Where- American, American Paul, yeah. Where Robert Redford lays out the, the promise of the premise and all of that, and, you know, we get to see him making his proposition. Um, yeah, it's the best scene in the film. Uh, yeah, I had um, I had pool game or hippo auction um, as my best scene, one of the two, just because Billy Conley <laughs> is brilliant. Uh, MVW, Victoria. Most it's valuable, whatever. Five... It's the $5,000 Thierry Mugler black dress, like... For real, that is the best thing in this film because, <laughs> and not to be snidey, but it's aged well. It's still a fucking great dress. She looks great in it. But I think if you wore it, people would know the movie it was from. So I think the dress has kind of outlasted the movie in that way because no one remembers the hippos. But I'm telling you, if you saw someone in that dress, you would recognize it. So the dress. Yeah. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing, though? If you put on that dress and people are like, oh, someone's looking for a million dollars from an old man tonight. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people you know. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know you two. So, yes. Uh, Christopher. Uh, you actually took the words out of my mouth earlier in this podcast, Alex, because I have written here, the only character with a personality and sense of humour is played by Oliver Platt. So, Oliver Platt. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, because I've I've actually said it's it's one of the three, isn't it? It has to be one of the three. Um, so it's either 
Oliver Platt, Seymour Cassell, or Billy Bob Thornton. I don't mind which <laughs> one of those guys. Any, Give it to Billy Bob. Any of the big three uh, from this movie. <laughs> so what would you change, Christopher? Oh, see, what I've got here is my change that I'd make to Pretty Woman. I put it in the wrong place. That's why I didn't have one earlier. Oh. I had to make one up. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Um, let what me would, come what up would you some... change in Pretty Woman? It was quite weird what I'd written down. I said that in, I wrote down in a parallel universe, this would have to be. I'd like to see a version of Pretty Woman where the roles are reversed, where young Richard Gere, who played a lot of hustlers when he was young, uh, he's a 21-year-old prostitute and 45-year-old Judy Roberts is the corporate raider with a heart of stone. I thought that would be a fun version of Pretty Woman. Okay, but, and just to up the up to re, up the relevance. Um, what what about this movie? Indecent yes, proposal. This movie. Um, I think it's quite clever that that we, the audience, like Woody Harrelson, don't know and don't see what happened that night. But it, it fades to black. I do want to see a 50, 57-year-old man fuck. So show Robert Redford fucking, and or maybe someone have someone humping a hippo. Sorry, I've lost it. <laughs> Move on. Move on, quick. <laughs> Victoria, did you actually write something for this? I've got three. Is that okay? I'll right. be super quick. Yes. I wish right. I could yeah, knock off one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. All right, let's not make both our characters called D because it's confusing, but also it's sickening as you like. I hate that. Okay, second one. When the deed is being done... And it's, we know it's going to happen. We go to, uh, between Demi Moore and Robert Redford, we go to Woody Harrelson for his reaction first. Therefore, this is his story. Uh, that's incorrect. Shouldn't be that. We should get her reaction first. But the big one is make the voiceover part of court proceedings or engaging a lawyer to get you through the divorce that you then don't get. Because that, to me, is the only thing that could possibly explain why this voiceover is dull to the point of like clinically dull because if it turns out that this narration is part of court proceedings, then fine. Otherwise, get rid of that voiceover. It's outrageously boring. But if it's like, okay, so this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and then I got a second job, fine. Um, <laughs> Vicky, but- I'd really like to see someone in court saying, someone once said if you want something badly, you should set it free. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you, if you yeah. could just stick to the actual facts, was that on June? Was that on June the eleventh or June the twelfth that you said that bullshit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd have to do a bit of work to, to make it work, but I think it's worth it because otherwise, there's no re- there's no justification for this voiceover. Oh, I like I like that. Those that, that was good. Uh, weirdly though, I, I, I'm with Chris. So I, I want to see uh, I want to see the the, the the billionaire whale open its blowhole. So uh, <laughs> you know, like that, like what happens in the sex that I've definitely done. <laughs> Redford rutting. Show us Redford rutting. <laughs> oh, right then. That is Indecent Proposal, proposed to both of you as the second movie on Vicky's Valentine's Day clash. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, uh, Vicky, uh, you get to decide who you'd like uh, to go first, really, with the verdict, because these were your choices, Pretty Woman and Indecent Proposal. Um, Let's go uh, you first, then. Alex first. Uh, okay, I've I've got one sentence uh, this week. I, <laughs> I I'm going to add to it now though, because having just gone through Indecent Proposal with you guys, it is a hell of a fun movie to talk about, and it's just it, it it's so nuts. 
to talk about. To watch it, it's fucking dull. So Pretty Woman is the winner. <laughs> My Very winner. Good. And Chris. <laughs> Uh, I I really don't like either of these films. Um, uh, And what I have written down is Indecent Proposal is awful and deeply dull. Um, uh, Pretty Woman is also awful, but I was never bored. Uh, So for that simple reason, Pretty Woman all the way. Yeah. Oh, we have a winner, Pretty Woman. (laughs) Vicky, which way would you have gone? I would have gone for Pretty Woman, which to my surprise, so honestly, this week I went into Indecent Proposal super excited because I remember thinking more of it than I did. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not that good. And Pretty Woman, ready to hate it. And by the end of it, I was like, I bought that fairy tale. And just the script is just better. Like there's a good joke at the start about Edward's secretary being a bridesmaid of his ex and stuff like that. It just It's just performing at a different level. And not to keep banging on about voiceover, but I can't forgive it and I can't forget it. And also Julia Roberts, though, like she, I mean, she does so much in Pretty Woman that it's just blows in decent proposals. When, when he's climbing up the, that, that ladder to get to her at the end of Pretty Woman, I was so pissed off. And yet I found myself smiling because I was happy. Yeah, me too. And that, yeah. that's um, why it wins. And that makes me feel sick, but I can't, you know, yeah. that's, 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 what, that's the truth. And the man walking yep. the streets going, keep dreaming. Everyone comes to Hollywood for a dream. It's like, oh, you got me. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. If you, if you stick a hippo in Pretty Woman, you got the perfect movie because that's all Indecent Proposal <laughs> has over Pretty Woman, in my opinion. Just a lot, a lot more hippo, o- a lot Oliver more hippo Platt, scenes. Oliver Platt riding a hippo, we're in. <laughs> right then uh, that's a, a three for three we haven't had one in a while but pretty woman is the out and out winner on this week's clash of the titles valentine's specials time to talk about next week what two movies are going head to head i gave you a clue on monday's episode the clue was i see dead people not the sixth sense victoria from 1990, and I will say what's quite weird is both films have connections to this week's films. So it's kind of odd that we've started. I've started connecting movies to movies that we've done on the previous week. That's not going to become a thing. But from 1990, also directed by Adrian Lyne, Victoria, you're having Jacob's Ladder. Oh, thank you. Chris, also from 1990 and star of the winning movie... Pretty Woman this week. Julia Roberts is in it. <laughs> it's Flatliners. Awesome. Very, very imaginative of you, Alex. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so those are our movies next week. Do your homework. Flatliners and uh, Jacob's Ladder. I know I did check and now I didn't write it down. So apologies. They're both available on Amazon Prime for, I think, reasonable prices to rent. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Flatliners is on, is on Prime and and uh, Jacob's Ladder, I think, is one ninety nine to rent in the UK. Okay, good. So that's your homework. Flatliners and Jacob's Ladder, that is us done with for this week. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, do follow us on Twitter. Uh, there's a hell of a party going on on there, at ClashPod. Also on Instagram, an equally fun party, at ClashPod. Back on Monday to talk Flatliners. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.